What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode number 55. Last week, I was speaking with Galen Bales, and I hope you'll agree with me that that was a fascinating story and the uh, the huge sort of uh, value that was placed on his business um, before the crash. So really interesting. If you haven't listened to that, episode 54 with Galen Bales. This week, um, I'm going to be introducing my guest in a moment, but before I do, just wanted to give you a quick reminder that my YouTube channel is up there now, and I just want to give it a quick plug because as um, with all these things, it's all about growing the following and uh, getting the videos watched and uh, some engagement in the comments section. So if you follow the link in the description or in the show notes below, you will find um, it brings you straight to the channel and you can go and subscribe and it would really help me out if you could do that because it's it's a bloody long um, process building a YouTube channel, I can tell you. And so uh, just any help you can give me at all would be much appreciated. All right, so guys, today's guest is a person that I discovered after joining Clubhouse, which, by the way, appears to be going through a bit of a downfall, certainly in my own interest level, but I'm actually hearing that um, there's been a fairly big fall off in interest from other people. But anyway, look, that's another conversation for another day. My guest today is Mr. Dan Taylor, a Scottish businessman and property investor. And I wanted to bring Dan on today because he has a really unique uh, approach to the traditional property investment. Um, insofar as he actually goes out looking for operating businesses to acquire. And most of the time, these businesses will have some sort of a property opportunity built into them. And the property will often be undervalued within that uh, operating business. So it's an interesting way to go about it. And it does look to me to be more complex, but therein lies the opportunity. Because at the end of the day, if it were easy, we'd all be out there doing it. Isn't that right? So I do think that this is a very interesting um podcast today because the conversation goes into how he structures it, how he goes into all of that. And another reason why I wanted to bring uh, Dan on is because he demonstrates a, a level of resilience and positive attitude that he brings to a lot of what he does. And I really just respect that because as you'll discover, he went through his own challenges with a huge payday a couple of years back expected and he had worked on it for months and months and months. And just on the very you know hour that they were supposed to sign this deal and it was all going ahead and he'd have a huge payday and um, the banks pulled the plug at the very last minute and the whole deal fell down and collapsed and rather than becoming kind of bitter and twisted as some people do about that dan just rolled up the sleeves and got on with it and onto the next deal and um, so i find it a uh, great attitude and i think there is tons of value here today so guys get out your pens and pencils and your notebooks and without further ado this is my conversation with mr dan taylor how are you doing dan it's good to see you welcome to the podcast yeah i'm awesome thanks very much gav it's an absolute pleasure to be here and uh about, you know commercial property all things property mindset and strategies and that kind of thing 
Let's get going. And tell me this, where are you calling from? I see an office background there. It looks like it might be a home office. Yeah, home office uh, in Scotland, uh, a little village called Kilmacombe. Grew up in Edinburgh, but I moved to the West and we ended up been here 14 years and absolutely love it. A little village, three and a half thousand people, more sheep than people actually. But it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's it's really quite nice, you know. And I see a Turnberry t-shirt on there. So that looks to me like you're a golfer. Absolutely. That's my, my home course. And I was playing there the day before yesterday, actually, first game of the season. And oh my goodness, the weather was absolutely incredible. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. It's not so long ago there was snow and stuff like that. So it's nice to see a bit of a change. Yeah, absolutely. We had snow in March, would you believe? Uh, <laughs> Well, Dan, um, for we got a lot of things to cover today. I just, for the purpose of um, just familiarizing the audience with you, can you just sort of quickly describe who you are and what you do? Who I am and what I do? Well, I'm, I suppose I'm an entrepreneur from the start, never had a job. And, um, you know, I love, uh, I suppose, acquisitions, acquisitions of businesses and commercial, pre- predominantly commercial, I suppose. Um, why? Because it's, it's simply the, the shortest route to cash flow and grow your wealth and really get your time back because that's the all-important thing, isn't it? Your time but then to be able to do whatever it is you're, you want to do. And for me, it's more of the same. Deals kind of light me up. Deals and learning, really, kind of my two kind of main auction things. Love to constantly learn. And, um, and we help people as well uh, trying to get into commercial property. And, but principally, what we, what we help first is people who perhaps are business owners or they might be busy professionals and they don't have any time and we help them kind of uh, generate, uh, well, kind of grow their retirement positives as well by investing in our deals. And that's my real focus going forward, to be honest, because uh, it's the deals that kind of I love and doing the deals and, uh, you know, and, and helping other people grow their pots along that journey, along that way is really what we're all about, Taylor Capital, yeah. Okay, so you originate deals for investors to put money into. Uh, well, we do the deal so they don't have to. Right. Um, so you think about this, it's like Netflix of investing. <laughs> right. They're on the couch. We are there to feel the, the hard work. <laughs> okay. They're getting great returns. And along the way, we, 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 we educate them and, and teach them about the strategies as well. It's almost like a throw-in bonus, you know? A bit um, of mentoring and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do that. So and it's great fun and we meet some great people along the way. I mean, it's, it's, it's been great. It's awesome. And we've got this club now, Private Investors Club. And, um, you know, that's what we want to grow. Do deals and grow that uh, to fund the deals and help them grow their, could have a SAS pension or whatever it may be, money idling away through erosion in, in a company. Whatever it is, we, we help them get that to work. Stop the erosion, number one, you know, and start that income creation and then the compounding thereafter kind of thing. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get into the uh, into the commercial side and uh, and I suppose that the impact COVID has had on it. But before we do, I just thought, you know, can you take us back and paint us a picture? You know, what's a young Dan Taylor? What, what would a young Dan Taylor look like? Um, you grew up in Edinburgh, you said. Yeah, I grew up in Edinburgh, and uh, my first business, would you believe, is uh, I should have a picture somewhere, but it was a six foot by four foot donut kiosk that we um, put at the west end of Princess Street, uh, which is a great location. Uh, and it, it made a lot of cash, but effectively it was a job. And kind of, that was my, I suppose, my first real learning. Yes, we made money making, you know, quite a lot of cash build up, but it was a job. And it was a kind of job where 
you know, you, you could teach people to do it, but then obviously the margins would erode. So I learn about margins, I learn about, you know, getting people in, erodes that margin. But most importantly, I learned through that experience that try and create businesses where you, the, the income you create is not directly associated with the amount of hours that you work. And that was my first kind of key takeaway from that business, I suppose. And we sold it um, after that. What age were you when you did this? I can't remember, to be honest. I was, I was young. Was it like teen, teenager kind of time frame or were you a bit older? Yeah, maybe a little bit older, maybe 21 or two or I'm not quite sure. I get you. Yeah, but then after that, we, I kind of went through this period of, um, open, I, I, I suppose, went through this period of massive learning. So we opened a restaurant, massive learning, opened a clothes shop, massive learning. <laughs> I tell you, it's funny you say that because when I hear the word massive learning, because I know the code that you're speaking and it's you either win or you learn. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, it cost a few quid to learn these lessons. But my goodness, we learned a lot in a very short space of time. And ultimately, uh, we then kind of went into the property side of things and uh, we did our first kind of I suppose it's called a commercial to residential, um, you know, conversion uh, on a small scale in Gorgie Road in Edinburgh. And uh, we did a few of them. I think I was late 80s or something. And um, and then after that, our first pure commercial was uh, 1995. Um, and that was really the first time that I suppose, yes, yeah, we made money before, but that was the first time where we made, you know, a decent chunk. Um, and we bought a little shop, tiny shop, 700 square feet, Wow, that is small. Um, yeah, and it was a uh, so anybody could have done this deal um, as a starter deal. It was one hundred seventeen thousand pounds. We spent about thirty k stripping it all back to brick and started again. And two years later, we sold it for three quarters, uh, which is quite nice. Three quarters um, of a million. Wow. Yeah, three quarters of a million, and uh, and it was only seven hundred square feet. It was tiny. Um, Jeez. And the, the real good experience of this one is we bought direct from the bank. I mean, I'm talking directly from the bank. Uh, somebody did a, a moonlight flip, you know, the previous owner, uh, SS Scottish Power pulled the, you know, pulled the, the, the power. Um, and so we went to, we found out, did a search, found out who owned it, went down to the bank. They were just in Edinburgh as well, Allied Irish Bank, walked into the bank because I didn't know I could do that. Um, started talking to the manager and told them about the situation about the property up the road. They've got the first standard security and informed them their client had done a runner can we sit down and, and, and crack a deal and that's how we did it as simple as that um so sometimes ignorance in business is a wonderful thing because if you don't know you can't do something you usually just do it anyway um and that was another great lesson for me um and from that point on we, we then after we made that i suppose that capital event which is a wonderful thing to do you know cash flow is great but also coupled with cash flow creating capital events in your life is a wonderful thing as well. Put, then, put some folding stuff in your pocket, basically, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from that point on, you know, when we did that, we thought, well, imagine if we do this on a little bit bigger scale. And so with, from that point, we then started a, a kind of acquisition roll-up program. And it started in 97. And by 2005, we had kind of 252 staff and there were shops up and down the UK and we had an EBITDA run rate of 2.7 million, you know, kind of going forward, which is really quite nice. Uh, and, and it was all, it was all great. But another lesson doing that is, you know, sometimes when you put your ladder against the wall and you're climbing that little ladder of success kind of thing, and you get to the top and you look about and you think, you know, how, how on earth did I end up here? 
252 staff is not my idea of freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can relate. So I then thought, let's sell this, um, the whole business, and um, keep the properties and sell them. And there was one PLC in the industry, because this was a gaming industry. And the, the PLC, um, we wanted to sell the business, but obviously you can't just go to the PLC because they'll, they'll pull your trousers down. So we basically went to the market to sell this business, retain the property. So first of all, we did a sale lease back of the properties, which is for everyone watching is simply just separating the properties from the business and having 20 year FRI leases in place. Um, so we did that in preparation of selling, went to the market, obviously the PLC was interested. We got to heads of terms with the PLC and then nine months of legals we ended up with uh, the completion day, yeah, which starts at six in the morning. They've got 30 staff around our stores and, and we've got obviously our own team around the stores. And they were obviously at the end of that day that starts at six and ends at half four, they were to pay us a chunk of cash. Um, that, that then pays down the debt and the properties. Then we've got the properties going forward. Happy days, we're on the beach, yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, this was the kind of, um, I suppose, the beach deal. The, the, the vision. Know, yeah, absolutely. And getting, how do we get rid of all these staff that are causing issues every day, challenges, um, which were wonderful challenges, I suppose. And how do we replace that with non-hassle cash flow kind of income? So this was the kind of vision. Um, after, I remember, putting that ladder on the wall, climbing, not really liking where we kind of ended up kind of thing. And, um, and so on that completion date at half past four, finally, everything was signed. I'm, you know, I can't get out of it. The PLC can't get out of it. And we're just waiting on one uh, single A4 fax document, final grant of release of security, obviously from the bank, uh, so that the business assets can go to the PLC. We get the money, happy days. And at quarter past 11 at night, we get the phone call from the bank and the bank says, we can't allow the deal to proceed. No way. I said, well, hold on. We've gone through two credit committees. We've got a 100 grand PwC report, which you wanted. We've done. They're signed up. We're signed up. It's, it's done. What do you mean? You know, and, and this is, we can't tell you why, but we can't allow the deal to proceed. We can't tell you why. Didn't tell us a thing. That's now, crazy. This was April 2009. So it's, you know, within the, the, the big financial crash. And, uh, you know, in the bank, we're doing... Obviously, RBS, Northern Rock were backed up by the, by the government, and this bank didn't want to be backed up by the government. You know, right. so they were uh, uh, putting together a scheme, a plan, so they didn't have to partake of the government kind of, you know, bolstering up kind of thing. Um, so there was this big macro thing going on that we didn't know about and wasn't aware of. Political, yeah. Yeah, and then the, they blew the whole deal up. I don't believe you. Oh my God. That's a learning now. That is. <laughs> that was a learning. So they don't, they didn't only blow the deal up. They then forced us to sell each asset off at pence on the pound over the next two and a half years. No way. Yeah. Um, so we did nine years of work to do this roll up, almost gone back to zero. So we went from zero to uh, 21.4 million in nine years. And they went from 21.4 million to 29.8 million with that sale lease back in a day. So nine years to 21.4 million. And then another day plus two valuation reports, we went to 21 to 29.8 million. So there's a lesson, Jesus. You know, we spent nine years getting to 21 and one day getting to 29. We are a commercial property strategy that's basically paperwork, sale and lease back. That's, that was incredible. And it's all about cut, you know, cap rate arbitrage, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
which was a wonderful thing and an incredible lesson to learn there. Another massive lesson is we went from there to nine years, zero to 30 and nine years, back down to zero again, start again, effectively. Um, you know, got humped by the bank, but you know, that, that humping, that experience, that learning was invaluable because I entered that domain. I didn't even realize it was in their casino and how much control they have over your life. Yeah. So from that point forward, I thought, okay, amazing lesson. What can we take from this? What's the gift inside here? Because there's always a gift inside challenges. And I always like to look for those gifts. And the gift was for me, I started asking myself different questions. And those questions were, okay, amazing. We've done all these acquisitions. Yes, we got home by the bank, but now we've got all this experience. And how can we go forward and do deals where we're doubling or tripling the value of uh, commercial properties, um, not to re-gear, to de-gear. So we're completely risk-free. And how can we do it so we don't have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of staff? And how can we do it so we don't have this capex need every seven years to recapitalize the business kind of thing? And I, I kind of I thought about this long and hot, well, not too long, but you know, it's amazing. Now there's a, probably one of the biggest lessons of all. Asking yourself different questions, you get different answers and you get the answers like that. It's incredible. Yeah. So started asking different questions, came up with this game plan. I need to triple values so that my th- I've got 33% loan to value when I refinance and I want to keep it there and then erode the debt. So I've got zero debt at some point. So that was the game plan and off the bank, obviously um, weren't very nice to us. (laughs) We bought one of the assets back, then we bought another asset back off them. And that's exactly what we did. We doubled and tripled the values by taking an operational business, which is valued on an EBITDA basis. So it's a multiple of operating profits or EBITDA. So that's how you value a business. And we transformed it into a blue chip investment, which is obviously valued on a a cap rate Um, investment basis, which is a completely different kind of thing. And by turning operational businesses into investments with blue chip tenants, um, we basically doubled and tripled values of commercial property. And we never re-geared them. We just uh-huh. kept it there and the debt gets paid down. So we're kind of at 15% gearing now on our uh-huh. portfolio, you know, which is quite nice. And it's all kind of like hassle-free income. So yes, there was work at the beginning, but after the work is done, it's kind of almost like set and forget. Um, and what we're doing now, like, you know, that's led on to, you know, we did quite a few of those deals and, and then it's led on to, I, I was kind of, I stopped doing deals at some point because I was waiting on their next recession, you know, so being kind of almost like just sitting, off, I've been paying off debt over the last kind of, you know, 10 years, um, or e- even in the last kind of two, three years, we've hardly done anything. We're just sitting and waiting because I knew it was coming. And, and now it's here. Um, it's time to fill your buckets. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, that's what I was going to get to next. I, I mean, because that's a great story. And uh, I mean, the learning involved in, in, in that kind of fall because of the banks. Uh, I mean, I went through something similar, as you know. But in, in terms of COVID now, where we are, um, I mean, commercial property, there's different views on where it's going. Obviously, retail has taken a, a, a dramatic beating over the last number of years anyway because of, you know, the way the internet is going and stuff. Offices are now seem to be in the, in the crosshairs in a, in a big way, although I do think that they will come back in some way, but it may be slightly changed and a kind of a different version of what we've been used to. But what's your take on this? I mean, has COVID 
damaged some of the asset you know values that you that you're looking at out there at the moment yes absolutely i mean you know you know at the end of the day covid has been the black swan um you know that's created that's kind of triggered the recession the recession was coming um you know and, and it's been it's now the biggest recession since 1706 if you go by bank of england you know gdp figures which is quite an incredible stat to be honest yeah but, you know so you got that you, you've got the, the the black swan event of the of covid you've got the, the the kind of recession that's here you've also got the retail or the digitization of the, the high street kind of thing and then you've got this other thing which is huge called baby boomers and all these things together is creating massive disruption it's not just just covid there's a number of different macro economic and demographic factors at play right now it's the perfect storm basically it's the perfect start. This is the decade of deal doing. This, this, this will be known as the Roaring Twenties, the second Roaring Twenties, 100%. And if you can't make money in this decade, you know, you really, <laughs> uh, the kids will be asking in years to come. Did you what? make money in the Roaring Twenties? Exactly. <laughs> and the, as long as we remember what happened at the end of the, roar, the, the first Roaring Twenties, um, <laughs> it was followed by a thing called uh, the Great Depression, and uh, we should all keep that in the back of our mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, things are changing, evolving. The massive evolution going on in the high street just now. Uh, commercial property values are are coming down. Um, not just coming down. There's that much fear about you know they're never going to come back. You know, but you know certain high streets are always going to be there. Um, well, that's true. I mean, that's why I'd like to kind of get into that with you. I mean, in terms of what you were out sort of looking at now in terms of opportunities, what are you looking for? Like what's the sweet spot that you think where you think there's opportunity? Yeah, well, we're looking for, we, we kind of help two different uh, types of people. One are funds that own properties and like imagine land securities and big pension funds through the pandemic the last six months, they've been looking at their asset base and thinking, okay, this has been core for the last 20, 30 years. What's now core? You know, given the COVID's now here, there might be another COVID down the road. What's core? And they've been moving their focus to change their core profile to central London. I'm talking about big funds here. Uh, central London, two, three percent yields are happy with that. And it's all about preservation of capital. They're not bothered about everything else. So land securities alone are putting um, four billion of assets over the next five years onto the market. Wow. Now that's incredible. So we're we're focusing on one of one of our clients, our customers, our big funds, and I'll tell you what we're buying, going to be buying off, and what we've already bought off them, and continue going forward. And another one are baby boomers. So uh, big funds. What do we want them to buy? We're wanting to buy properties that are kind of over fifteen thousand square feet. So call it twenty thousand square feet, and we want to take it to twenty five plus, you know, square feet. So if you imagine a typical four-story building, that kind of thing, you've got two, three, four, five commercial tenants on the ground floor. Um, and then you've got usually three story, you know, three stories of offices, that kind of thing. Uh, in very specific areas, we've targeted 26 towns. Um, and we're going to be basically buying, you know, these kind of properties are kind of four to five million to buy. And then a GDV, they're usually coming out at 11 million. You know, so that's a through kind of, re reworking them. Yeah, and we're changing the upstairs into um, you know, high value apartments, and then hopefully putting another one floor or two floors on top. Uh, one we've just gone unconditional on in Guildford and Surrey is, um, was kind of 7.6 million on the market. And uh, then it went to six and a half. We went into heads of terms at 5.4, went to uh, exchanged at five, 
unconditional at 4.9. Wow. Uh, now that's a journey. Just that there's a there's a whole journey in a learning how you do that kind of process and do it in a very professional way that they want to do business with you know with you going forward kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this is not about just chipping. This is you know using professionals and your your whole team around you. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I talk about is is reputation and relationships being you know one of the key things that you need to maintain in this business. And what you've just said is really key there because if you're you know going and meeting these guys and you're just seen as a guy who just chips away at the price who's there's always this deal creep and you know you're not a guy that's going to shake on a deal and that's the deal you're going to do you're going to be a person who chips away chip chip, chip. but you've yeah. said that you do it in a way that they continue to want to do business with you so you've you're able to rationalize why the price has to be kind of chipped down or whatever it is absolutely absolutely and it's always with a view of a long-term relationship you know so we want to always do deals with people where they want to, you know, because this fund that we're buying from just now, um, you know, our commercial property solicitor that we've known for 20 years, his friend is the head of this fund and, and they want to meet us um, because of the way we've conducted ourselves through the whole transaction. Now, that speaks volumes. It does. In terms of getting to the next deal, because we don't just want to buy one deal at a time. We want to, you know, through a private investors club, raise a little acquisition fund and, you know, perhaps go for two, three, four, five off of this big fund at once. And, and you know, if you buy two, three, four, five, what are you doing? You're getting a wholesale discount. Yeah. Um, it helps them, helps us, helps the investors. So it's kind of win-win. We always go for the holistic approach, you know, of how does everybody win here? That, that's really our, our goal plan, always. Um, never to fall, life's too short to fall out with someone. Tell me this. I mean, what's your turnaround in terms of time frame for these kind of things? If you buy something, what do you typically have as your kind of exit point or at the point in which your your investors are satisfied that they've gotten the return that they went in for? Yeah. Well, the development side is 18 months to 24 months. You know, that's kind of time frame there. On the other side of things, though, you know, so that's the big fund we're helping one customer, customer number two are baby boomers. And what, what do we buy of baby boomers? Well, baby boomers that have a business. And that business is a portfolios of commercial property. So we are um, doing marketing campaigns to them. Um, and we're just about to offer on our first of portfolio. Uh, we've got all the information <clears throat> viewed on Friday. Um, this is not your blue chips, but it's the whole portfolio is so under rented. It's incredible. So it's very much a buy the portfolio, sell off the, you know, uh, raising a little acquisition fund from the private investor club. Uh, they get first charge, they get a, a great return paid quarterly. Um, we then, you know, buy the portfolio, sell off the residential straight away, reduce, you know, the debt. Um, then we do the asset management on each of the tenants, replace, there's currently 3.6 uh, years unexpired, you know, throughout the portfolio as a weighted average. Uh, we want to then replace every single tenant with a new, you know, 10 year lease with a break at five. Now, you know, that's, you know, most people will think you can't do that, but you know, why can't you do it? It's back to that. You know, if you don't know, you can't do that. You then go and do it anyway. Gotcha. <laughs> how we do it is we, we never ask for anything. We, we listen to the customer and who's the customer, your tenant. And we we sit down and speak to them all individually and find out what's going on in their life. In that conversation, you'll find the goal. And you'll find their problems, their solutions. And if you can then provide a solution to that problem, whatever it is for them, which will be unique and individual, 
then that's how we we get what we want, which is a longer term lease. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. The key to it is always listening to the needs of of the other side, because um, then only then when you know what they need can you actually extract um you know the, the points that they're looking for to actually be able to create a deal around that absolutely uh, and for for them you're, you're really talking about simple stuff it could be um, you know i've had you know this sign we wanted a new sign for for years and you just make a note of that um you know that we want really i really fancy doing this this and this because the businesses you know they've got a lot of hairdressers in this portfolio maybe they need to add a beautician maybe they need to add something else um, and you're just sitting down and listening to people and taking notes of everything that they want in their life. And if you can provide, you know, the white, you know, the, the knight in shiny armor coming to the rescue to provide these things. And it could just be, oh, I'd love to have three months rent free. We just got back open. Um, yeah, but that'd be a, a thing of beauty or, a, you know, three months half rent, you know, yeah, yeah. all these tools at your disposal. And our plan is to go get brand new 10 year leases, five year breaks. And increase the rent by 20 percent uh, across the board, um, which will still be about thirty percent under the market. <laughs> so we're not trying to get what the market is. We're just trying to get you know something fair and sustainable because you've got to think about your cash flow is determined by how successful their business is. Yeah, of course. And that twenty percent increase will probably be booked in over time. Yeah, but say it's booked in over two years. So 10% over two years, and then, you, and then you've got the, the new level. Then if we are selling any of those units, then we'll basically all, you know, that, that, that kind of discount that we're getting in the first two years, we'll just give cash to the person that's buying, you know, to kind of top that up kind of thing. Gotcha. So it's really buying a commercial property portfolio, do some simple asset management. When the long-term lease is in place, we're going to then offer them firstly to our private investors club. If they've got a SAS pension, it could be perfect for them. So can I, it's like this, it's buying commercial property portfolios wholesale, you know, buying them at 10, 11%, doing the asset management, getting the rent up and selling them on an eight, an eight cap. So it's buying at 11 cap, selling an eight cap with a rent increase along the way by helping solve problems. Um, yeah, it's a good model. I used to do something similar uh, where I would actually buy at wholesale, we'll say, and then subdivide the unit into four or something like that so that you're getting that arbitrage on the... Um, on yeah. the cap rate and on the rent. Yeah. Interesting. It's really simple and fast as well, because that could, you know, this is in and out this year. But and tell me this, just in terms of, you know, where the high street is gone and stuff like, you know, are there any particular sectors that you're looking at that you're kind of excited about? I mean, you know, obviously the pub sector and the restaurant sector has taken a massive hit in the last 12 months. And, and I wonder how many businesses Will, will go under, you know, or when they try to return, they'll have a hungry landlord there saying, well, you haven't paid us rent in, you know, six months or nine months, so it's time yeah. to, to pay. How many of them will decide to kind of go to the wall with the business and start with a brand new limited company or something like that? seems to me that there's going to be some difficult decisions in the coming months when, when things start to reopen. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the tenants in this portfolio is exactly what you're talking about, is a restaurant. And their companies dissolved through the pandemic, but they're, they're, they're just back open again. They're just about to start trading. Um, and in that kind of thing, you got to, you know, I, I look, I see tenants as partners and I help people through things uh, the best I can. Now, if that means some kind of helping them through insolvency, which I know very, very well, um, how to restructure things to protect their, you know, because what I do is I look at their business and I think, 
okay, if I'm in their shoes, and it's always good to walk a, you know, steps in someone else's shoes. Um, if I'm in their shoes, how can I help them protect themselves, you know, and structure their business in the right manner that also helps me, uh, but it helps them first. So you're thinking about them first always. And one tenant in particular, for example, we helped them uh, set up a company that owned all these assets. And then he had a subsidiary trading company. And I said, make sure you keep it like that. Uh, and that for if you ever get, you know, who, who, who would have thought that COVID? I mean, who'd have ever thought about that? He, he's basically, you know, we've introduced him to an insolvency practitioner. He's got rid of that company, got another company there. But guess what? All the company with the lease, the assets and all the... Still there. Still there. No problems at all. So, yes, I, I like to help people, not just from, you know, point of view of, uh, you know, what do you need? What, what's wrong? What's missing in your business? But how can we structure the business as well so it's safer going forward? Um, and the reciprocity in that is incredible. Mm, yeah, it's true. You've really got to be thinking about them first, uh, help them protect themselves, and then, you know, and therefore your cash flow is more stable going forward as well. Um, but people remember, you know, that they remember. Uh, yeah, that you're decent. So it's funny you say that. I've got an example of that. My my grandfather um, bought a, a, had some land, you know, we're going back kind of 30, 40 years, whatever it is. And he, um, he did, there was, a, there was a builder who wanted to kind of buy the land. And he, he went along to my grandfather and sort of said, you know, I'd like to build some houses and your land would be perfect for it. Could you do, could you do it for me? And he could have gotten this big price for the land, but he decided that he'd do a, do a favor to this builder because they were in the same kind of space building and all that. And um, anyway, fast forward 30 years and my sister was buying a property uh, up in the in the in the Dublin mountains where she where she now lives and when she was she asked me to do the negotiation on the deal because I'm I'm the property guy so she said you know will you deal with the agent and the buyers and all that kind of stuff and I said yeah sure I'll do all that for you and what actually happened was they were looking for this strong price and uh, but then I, I was sticking to my gun saying we're not going above this and then um the agent came back. I said that now, look, the deal is going to fall over if you look for any more. That's it. And then the agent came back and he says, the, the buyers want to know or the sellers want to know, are you any relation to uh, James Gallagher? And I said, yeah, that's my grandfather. And they said, OK, then they'll do the deal <laughs> because they were the same builders that did the deal 30 years earlier. That's and they incredible. remembered <laughs> they remembered that he had cut them in on a deal way back then. And so the, the reciprocity is there. You know, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, um, I always say whatever you put out in life comes back to you tenfold. So put good shit out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best advice. Best advice in this podcast so far. Um, tell me this, uh, Dan, is there any particular sector that you're sort of excited about in terms of prospects for, you know, post pandemic, like once we come back to it, uh, are there any areas that you're looking at investing in? Um, yeah, well, the, the baby boomers commercial property portfolios is, is, is one. The other one is the other shops and uppers, you know, within, uh, within an hour of train ride in central London, pr pr primarily over £500 a foot, we're looking for residential values, shops and uppers, 15,000, 20,000 square feet and above. Um, so that's what you described before. That's where you buy the unit that's commercial on the ground floor. And then what was offices above is now ripe for turning into residential. And, and the reason for that is, you know, the, the PD, the, 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 the Bill, Bill, Bill program of Boris Johnson, 
is the biggest deregulation of planning, uh, you know, since the war. It's just incredible what he's done. And a new thing coming out in the 1st of August, the Class E, is, is incredible as well. And the ME, uh, Permitted Developments, basically the mother of all <laughs> Permitted Developments, um, is great for, it's almost like we're getting back to be, you know, back to capitalism. You know, let the market dictate what kind of use should be in that property. Yeah. Rather than locally, local authorities making all these kind of decisions and stuff. Let the real people in the street with money in their pocket dictate who's going to be in there. Because if they don't like who's in there, guess what? They won't spend their money in there and they'll leave and somebody else will come in. And that's exactly what Boris has done. He's deregulated the whole planning uh, and that's going to you know, start on the 1st of August this year. It's going to be uh, phenomenal for anybody in England. All, unfortunately, it's not in Scotland, um, unfortunately, but you know, we're property entrepreneurs. It's a tiny little country. You know, if you're in Scotland or wherever, you, know, you can still do deals in England. Uh, which is what we're doing. Most of our deals are England, to be honest. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was, that was all I was going to ask. So you, you're not just focused on the Scottish market, you're actually looking specifically in the English market. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we've had properties from uh, the highest in the north, Dundee, to Margate before. Um, you know, that portfolio we talked about, the, the bank decided uh, it was better some, in someone else's hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and now we've got uh, properties in Scotland and uh, in England as well. And that commercial property portfolio that we're, uh, you know, basically it's going to be under offer uh, this week is, um, is in England as well. Interesting. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Um, you know, one's a very much a development strategy, 18 to 24 months, a lot of moving parts. You really got to know what you're doing. It's not, it's not for everybody. And the other one's really... Um, it's, it's, I call the other one, it's like, uh, it's coffees and chats as opposed to construction and contracts. You know, it's, it's just really, you're having chats with people, but putting a new lease in place, uh, there's, a, there's a, a way and a skill to do it, obviously. You know, how do you get them in the first place? How do you negotiate with the tenants and whatever? But the, the, the uplift that we're going to increase the value by 50% on that. Wow, okay. Before Christmas, um, quite easily. In fact, after we ditch the resi, it will double in value, um, which is quite incredible when we're not building anything. You know? Yeah. There's a lot so it's of, a real arbitrage, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different, and that's a six-month thing, maybe nine months. Let's call it nine months. Um, but it's really, there's, there's so many different, I, I love commercial because it's such a creative space. That's what I love about it. I love the creativity uh, of the space and what you can do and really to force, you know, capital appreciation and things. And, the reason back to obviously the reason why I love forcing capital appreciation is you end up with a, you know, kind of a, I call them money boxes. You know, you want to create money boxes, multiple diversified income streams, but um, you want to create safe money boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I love to force capital appreciation and come up with creative strategies of how to do that to make it safer. So for me, commercial is a hedge. You know, it's how to hedge income streams, you know? Mm. It's funny you, um, yeah, I mean, I like the creative side of commercial as well. And it's, I think it was um, our mutual friend, Jerry Alexander, who was saying that the, uh, you go and buy a residential property and you go and fill it with, you know, gold sinks and everything like that. The yeah. price of the property is not going to shift that much. I mean, but with commercial, you could tweak the lease or you can do something with the, you know, whatever it is that you can do but you can literally double the value of that property 
in a short space of time. You'll never double the value of a residential property by tweaking it. I mean, you might increase the value by putting in a kitchen extension or something, but the street is worth what the street is worth. Yeah. And you can't make massive, massive differences. Whereas with commercial, you, you actually can do that just by repositioning the asset or whatever it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, one where it's more of a development, I suppose, it was a business that we bought. It was, a, you know, when we were buying businesses and turning businesses in decline into an investment. Um, and this one was a kind of three story, three and a half story building, about 10,000 square feet or something. Uh, and I had a cafe in it, I had a gaming center, I had a pool, uh, American pool, English pool, and snooker on the top floor. And, you know, this was a business that, and these were what it was being used as. Yeah, so it, was, yeah. So, so it was a training business. It was two P staff, the whole nine yards, and it was for sale on a business uh, seller's website kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it was offers over 340 or something. But you had a lot of people there kicking the tires. And this is, again, is about trying to find out the most important things to the vendor, to the person. Um, and this took me nine months to find the most important things to the vendor. Um, and after finding that, the deal was really easy. Uh, and we paid them um, 150K, uh, but it was a five-year lease option. And it was a bur- you know, we burdened the title with the option so we could call and it was heretical as well. So if anybody else bought in the meantime, the, the option was still there. Um, but the, the key thing was, is we, uh, we, bought, we paid 150 when we took the option up, paid a net 120 because we did a management facility to management buy at the same time. The manager, we helped them go from um, in, you know, employee to entrepreneur and he bought the business, uh, which kind of is, is, I don't know, that stuff kind of lights me up and he's running a great business now. Um, so he goes, so the benefits to him and the benefits to you, let's just sum them up. So he's gone from having a, a business, running a business that had, that was part of the asset that, that was using the asset, the, the property asset. And you paid him to get out of the asset, but to stay running the actual business. So no, no, we, had the, we had the vendor, we paid him. Okay. So the, the vendor, we had a five-year lease option on this one. Uh, we went and fixed the business. After I fixed the business, made it profitable, which was pretty simple, to be honest, on this one. Um, the manager that I've had for 13 years that I put in to help fix the business, ah, okay. I said to him, I said, look, it's about time you took a step up and, you know, stop being an employee you know what you're doing you're, you're running this place and i'm just telling you what to do um why don't you buy the business and so he paid me 30k i paid the owner 150 for the property so a net cost of 120 for me the rent's 24k so it's kind of 20 percent yield but but it's only a short-term play and that short-term play is coming to well not an end as such but there was always going to be a bigger development there because it's right next door to the university it's right next door to the students' union. It's just a great location for student accommodation. And we've just had a pre-app approved for uh, 70, you know, it's a new build. So it's going to be a demolished new build, 70 student studios. And, and why studios? Because of COVID. And yeah, yeah. Social distancing is kind of baked in from day one kind of thing. So uh, not the HMO type uh, offering. It's, it's a complete and utter standalone version. Almost like a boutique hotel, a student boutique hotel. Yeah. So it's a, it's a deal of multiple phases, basically, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to go from a 120 to like almost 8 million GDV, that one. Wow. Um, but the important thing is, you know, what happens to the tenant, the man, you know, my manager for 13 years. We're, we're along the process, we're taking care of him. You know, we met him two weeks ago, 
uh, again, and then we looked at our property, helping them to get onto the next step of the run. What's the next step of the run? Why don't you just buy your own property next time? I'll help you all the way through it uh, because his cafe part of the business is going great. Uh, he's doing deliveries, you know, click and collect as well. It's going fantastic. I said, in fact, there was one right over the road. I said, let's, I'll get a viewing with that and let's go and see it. I'll do the deal and uh, I'll help you get into the property game, you know? So it's helping people, putting a hand down and helping them onto the next step is really, I don't know, it should be part of everybody's mandate, you know? Yeah, it's very rewarding. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's great. And to see somebody go through that uh, metamorphosis, employee psych you know, psychology. Now he's a business owner, has been for years. And now he's thinking about becoming a commercial property owner. You know, mm, an investor, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's going up through the steps. That's great. That's really interesting. Um, in terms of good advice, best advice, what would you say is the best advice you've received over your career? Uh, best, there's been so many. Um, That's the thing. It's always a difficult question, but just which one would you say has had the greatest impact on your career? I, I always thank Barclays for just being themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the damage they did. It gave me that great learning because it, it, seriously, it's the best business gift I've ever had. But you know, head and shoulders above everything else. After that, I would always say, you know, the day it turned around for me, when I went from that period, remember when the donuts, then we had that period of failing or learning forward. Um, and then we, we got into that commercial property and we did great. Then after that, I thought, you know, maybe there's people out there that knows more than me, obviously. <laughs> so would it not be wiser to go and try and find somebody and uh, to, so I don't make all these mistakes I've made in the past. I shorten the curve, don't make the mistake. I get the result a lot quicker. So I started hunting for people in 1996 who, who actually, mentors yeah in 1996 i actively hunted for mentors and the first one was a marketing chat that we paid five thousand pounds to way back in in fact it was 95 uh it, we paid him 5k and, it, and he was incredible and that 5k allowed us the information from that 5k from this marketing kind of genius uh give us the tools to grow you know that commercial property the small one 100, say 150K we paid for it. The reason we sold it for 750 was that 5,000 pounds, directly wow. attributable to that. And then we hunted for somebody else. And in 1996, um, we paid somebody else 10,000 pounds. And after that 10,000 pounds, we then grew to 30 million. Wow. So return on investment. Uh, incredible. And, you know, I would always say, you know, if, if you're younger, number one, just go and do it. But try and find somebody who's been, not only been where you want to go, but is still doing whatever it is to get them to where you want to go. You know, try and find someone and then try and add some value to his life, her life, uh, and try and, you know, hang around with three to five people that are kind of two, three, four steps ahead of you, you know, because the learnings that you'll get from these kind of people uh, are just invaluable. Uh, and for me, if you, want to, if you want to shortcut anything, if you want to collapse time, if you want to stop making mistakes, um, just find people who've already done it and then find a way of adding value to their lives so they help you. Um, for so me, they want you around, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants um, a vampire around that's just going to take, 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 but try and think of a way of how can you add value to their lives, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I, we were talking about this before. I see a nice book there behind you, a bookshelf. And uh, do you have any books that you, or one particular book that you would recommend? 
Well, I, I like that one, uh, one thing, and I keep it there. So I'm, I'm, I, sit, I keep reinforcing it in myself because I'm a kind of creator. And, you know, my, my biggest gift is creativity on deals. I, I seem to come up with um, creative solutions to problems. Um, also, my, my, my biggest downside is I'm a creator. I can't stop creating. So I'm always coming up with ideas and this, that, and the other. So that there is to remind me to stay focused because I've got the biggest opportunity of this decade. Uh, biggest opportunity of my life, actually, is this decade. 2020. Yeah, the 2020s, yeah. Yeah, and to stay focused on these two core strategies. Um, so that's why it's there. So I love that book. Uh, and also the other one next, it, Barbarians at the Gate. I, yeah, I love that book. I read that as well, all about um, the Nabesco uh, tobacco you know, company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible takeover. And the film about it is great as well. Yeah, fantastic um, book. Um, uh, I'm just conscious of the time, Dan. Are, are we, um, I was going to say, normally I ask my guests the the advice that you would give your 20-year-old self if you were starting out again? Yeah, I think just what we talked about there, really, if, uh, you know, find... Find, a, find the mentor, yeah. Yeah, find, find a mentor for sure. Not just a mentor, but people, maybe a little group of people, that are, you know, already there and doing whatever it is you want to do. And if you're only 20, stop worrying, stop procrastinating, just go and do it. If you fall down, you've got plenty of time to get back up and do the thing again. And when you're 20... What have you got to lose? You yeah, don't, you don't have anything, so stop worrying about wanting, you know, worrying about losing something because there's nothing out to lose. So, and you and you don't have all the 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 additional baggage. I mean, I, I've been saying to people, you know, when you're young, you can take these massive gambles, and if if it fails, it fails. But you're not, you know, in a situation like I am now with five children. You've got school fees, and you've got, you know all sorts of expenses that really you can't just sort of dust it off and say, Oh, okay. You know, they, they'll all do it out food for the next couple of weeks. You know, obviously there gets to a point, but when you're in your twenties, you can do pretty much anything. And worst case scenario, you have to move back home with the folks for a couple of months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah absolutely. I would, I would definitely say that, you know, find out whatever it is. And another thing as well is, you know, do something you actually enjoy because you're going to be doing it for a long, long time. So if you're not into it, get find something that you are into. Find something you actually love doing. Um, you know, so find something that you would do for free is, is what I advise because I find that there there are tasks that are, you know, you love doing what you're what you're doing. But when that when the tough when the times get tough when you know when the market turns and and every step is kind of a challenge. If you don't love what you're doing, you were just going to pack it in. Like you're not going to stay focused on this thing through, you know, through the mud. Whereas, you know, when it's when you're making money, of course, it's easy to kind of stay enthusiastic about it. But it's you won't get to that point through the kind of the growth phase you need unless you enjoy it and unless you have a passion for it. And I suppose another real important thing as well is, you know, you know, whatever the big plan is that you have to save the planet or do this or your big mission in life, put that second, sort your cash flow out first, get to cash flow positive, what I call base cap, which is all your monthly costs being met by a, an asset that's cash flow, a money box, I call them. Get to cash flow, fix you, fix your family, then go and do that big thing. What did Elon uh, you know, Musk do? Yeah, PayPal sold it, made a ton of money, sorted everything out, and now he's a way to obviously Mars <laughs> and everything else on his way to Mars <laughs> yeah. 
So do your version of that. You know, get cash flow sorted out, sort you out, sort your family out, and then go and do that thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant advice. All right, Dan, um, people will want to reach out perhaps. Um, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, well, if you are, if, you know, principally, we love working with uh, people in our private investors club. So if you've got, you know, money that's burning with uh, inflation erosion uh, or SAS pension or something like that, then get in touch with us. If you want to learn more about commercial property as well, uh, then we run our, our club. It's at taylorcapital.co.uk. Pop along there. And, uh, and we do live broadcasts now and again. So if you go to taylorcapital.co.uk um, and register or log in or whatever, just put your email address in. You'll be notified when we do a, a live broadcast and what's coming up. Yep. Sounds good. All right, Dan. It's been great chatting with you. Um, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Yeah, Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. So that's it for episode 55 of Behind the Facade. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my number one ask is to leave a review and or share out the episode with someone who you think would benefit. Now, having said that, my new number one ask is to go straight to the YouTube channel and subscribe. But anyway, look, that's another conversation. In the show notes below, you will find links to the various things discussed today. I've put a link to Dan's business and a couple of things like that. So you'll maybe find those interesting. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please feel free to connect with me directly through the Facebook group Behind the Facade community. And alternative to that is my social media handle, which I'm sure a lot of you know now is Gavin J. Gallagher. And lastly, to stay up to date with the various things I'm working on, uh, you could please consider adding your name to my email list, which you will find over on the website www.gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. All right, folks, hope you have a great week. Let's talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.